It's Sunday, May 17th. I'm taking a drive out to Western Illinois because driving seems like one of the only ways to unwind in a safe way in 2020. I start listening to a new podcast my friends have raved to me about, Wind of Change, a Spotify production hosted by Patrick Radden Keefe, ostensibly about how the hit 1990 power ballad Wind of Change, a song so popular it was said to have galvanized the fall of the Berlin Wall, was not written by the performers The Scorpions, a popular German hard rock band, but instead by the United States Central Intelligence Agency. This song, the podcast posits, was a piece of deep narrative disruption given to the Scorpions by American intelligence to promote a message of unity and further agitate the frustrated youth of East Germany who were tired of living under a controlling regime. It's a fascinating topic for a podcast, especially for someone who loves heavy metal as much as I do. But the first episode of the podcast wasn't really about any of those things. I expected to hear an in-depth history of the Scorpions, or theories of how the CIA could pull off such a narrative coup, and those eventually come. But really, the first installment of Wind of Change devotes most of its time to host Radden Keefe detailing the relationship between himself, his friend, and an ex-CIA operative. Really, the show's about the interpersonal dynamics that led to the host learning about this wild rock and roll theory in the first place. It feels very navel-gazy and self-important, as though Radden Keefe finds more fascination in his own story than the topic of the podcast at hand. But the more I thought about it, the more I started to realize that, in a way, all podcasts are ultimately about the hosts. You can't divorce the criminal investigation of Serial from the biases of Sarah Koenig. You can't understand WTF without understanding that for many years, Mark Maron was very bitter about his rejection by the comedy community at large. And you can't spend 100 episodes talking about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power without also talking about yourself. There's another reason I bring up Wind of Change. When I was in middle school, I wrote a lengthy series of fanfiction that I was convinced would bring He-Man and She-Ra back to television. It was overly morose and stupidly dramatic, but I believed in the story I was telling, so much so that I scripted out the opening and closing title sequences. And what was the song that played over the main titles? It was The Scorpions, Wind of Change. From WBEZ, KCRW, and Spotify, this is She-Ra, Progressive of Power. The wind of change goes straight Into the face of time Like a storm for I think the very last time, this is She-Ra Progressive of Power. Welcome back. I am Lauren. I am Eric, and you mean for the honor of Grayskull, don't you, Lauren? I mean, it's always for the honor of Grayskull. It's been that way for a hundred episodes. A hundred episodes. I mean, asterisk, but still, a hundred <laughs> episodes. We recorded a hundred episodes, and, and to me, we put in the work, so... Here it is, the final episode. Yes, we recorded 100. A couple, for various reasons, have fallen off the tree somewhere behind us, and maybe more will do that. Maybe more of those apples will just rot. But dang it, 100, we're here. Yeah, I'm not into revisionist history. Like, it is what it is. We got to 100, and I'm proud of us, frankly. I'm proud, too, um, and also sort of bewildered. I don't think when we went to dinner together and you pitched this idea, I had any idea that this was the commitment, in a good way, that I was in for. I remember even when we did episode 50, you said something like, God, if we do 100 episodes, please kill me or something. Although we didn't really know how long She-Ra was going to be at that time. So we got pretty close, you know, naturally. I don't think I ever said, please kill me. But I maybe said something <laughs> like, I've run out of things to say. Because mm. I have I have felt out of things to say for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, some people probably feel like that's a good thing. But we still, we still got here. And yeah, that was... What was that? Had to be like July 2017. We went out to dinner 
at uh was it the yard house in in new city which is like if someone took naperville and transported it to like chicago you get new city which is this like shopping colony on the north uh near north side and we went to I was yard gonna house. say i put in my notes for this episode that i really wanted to give like the extended version of that story because i wonder if we even remember it the same way oh well you go ahead then well, yes, New City was correct. Um, are we allowed to say the candidate we were working for? I think at this yeah. point, damn yeah, the torpedoes. Yeah. So we were both volunteering for Amea Pawar, who was a governor candidate in Illinois. Um, I really still wish he would have won that race. I really wish he would have won the race for treasurer that he also attempted. I think he's a great guy, and he's got really progressive ideas. Uh, but he dropped out he dropped out before our podcast for him ever really even got off the ground uh, because I had... we, we i you know now that it's years ago why don't we just go out with the blaze and some of his handlers were not the most savvy let's say and so we were what three months into meetings and we're answering questions like what is the podcast and where do people find it how do so people anyway... listen to it what yeah. good does it do? Right. And I remember, I remember, I don't know if you were there, but I remember at one point talking to Amea personally, like at a rally, and he was so stoked on the idea and so ready to do it. And yet the people who were working for his campaign were kind of in the way. And I think we would have gotten there eventually, you know, the slow arc of history probably would have gotten us there if he had stayed in the race. But he was done before the show ever even happened. The thing is, though, you're right. We were doing meetings for months. And through those meetings, I remember feeling like you were great to work with and you were someone competent who like showed up on time and was talented and enthusiastic. And I remember feeling like it was just a real shame that our partnership was going to get wasted. Yeah, I I agree. And like there, there was just... Again, I'm not trying to, you know, call out anybody in particular, but everyone I worked with except for you and, like, maybe a couple other people at our level just kind of acted like what we were doing was some kind of, like, incomprehensible magic. I remember booking a recording session for one of his, um, like, campaign ads I did the audio for, right? And the person who was, like, producing the ad was like, okay, well, I've booked us six hours, but it can go to eight. And I'm like, this is... a two-minute ad right and she's like yeah i'm like okay so like let's book like two hours and she's like listen we do things professionally here and i'm like listen i've been making podcasts for years i promise this will not take six hours guess how long it took 45 minutes i was gonna guess 45 minutes my mouth was open to say 45 minutes <laughs> yeah yeah so were th and were they happy with it yeah no they loved it and you know i wouldn't say that they went as far as saying i was right but they were like, you did a good job. It's like, yeah, because this is easy. Like, this is not complicated. <laughs> and and no one ever does. You know, no one ever circles back around and is like, I was wrong about you. <laughs> they, yeah. just, they just continue on. Uh, you know, even even some present issues that we're dealing with kind of fall into that category. I, I live my life in a state of righteous anger where I just have a list of people who I wish would apologize to me. And I know they're not going to, but it's like Arya Stark. I just read it to myself every night. <laughs> good, good, good. So, yeah. So I think it was you who initiated our like meeting to start this podcast, right? Because, of course, it had to be. You were the one with the idea. 
It had to be me. That's right, because I had just seen Wonder Woman, and uh, it inspired me to go look for like other female-led action-oriented programming, and uh, that took me right to She-Ra, uh, which I had already had on DVD, and I obviously had a deep love for it, but I hadn't watched it in years and years, and uh, just something struck me about watching She-Ra. You know, this was the summer of 2017, and yeah, I can't like, emphasize enough that it's the 80s version we are talking about. Yes. If you're new to the show at all, um, Netflix, the DreamWorks version, literally was not like a twinkle in the public's eye yet. Yeah, like the crew had been working on it, but normal people had no idea. So that's absolutely right. This was the 1985 Filmation show. And I started watching it in the you know post-Haze uh, of Wonder Woman. And I, I really loved it. And I was like, boy, there's really something so surprisingly timely about this woman-led band of warriors fighting like a fascistic pig dictator and his robot army who's illegally occupied this like lush and verdant planet it just felt like too on the nose for something that was made what 32 years ago so i hit up lauren and i was like hey i i want to do this i want to do a podcast about this because Right, here's a, a lesson I think everybody needs to learn, including maybe us sometimes, is that like you have to look at who is telling stories and who is given a voice. And I was like, I am a 30 something white guy, I'm not the voice to talk about She Ra, even though I have this abiding love for it. So I reached out to Lauren, yes, and I am a you know, cis white woman, and so still quite a privileged person. But I, I do consider myself LGBTQ and, you know, maybe a little bit more toward the target audience than Eric. Well, and, and it wasn't even like the target audience of She-Ra in the 80s was basically like kids who watched He-Man plus their sisters, right? Yeah. But my, my thing was like, I want to talk about whether this is actually progressive or or like if I'm just imagining it. So like Lauren is this like progressive woman I know who I volunteered with on a campaign that went nowhere. Maybe we can put all that podcast energy that didn't get used into She-Ra, which is something you had no familiarity with. Not at all. I'd never seen it. I was just slightly young for it, I would say. Um, And yeah, to your point, even even my demographic aside, we had spent months, I think, getting amped up about the progressive political platform of Amea Pawar and had had discussions about, you know, what we'd like to see in America. And so you knew I could talk about that stuff, regardless of gender or anything like that. Right, absolutely. And, and you know, for people who joined us for DreamWorks, which we absolutely don't blame you, like, the original episodes were, were a lot different. Like, rather than do a rewatch podcast, we would take an issue and then look at how one or more episodes of She-Ra dealt with that issue and, and analyze it really from a politics-first perspective, which I think is something that, you know, as the DreamWorks show came out and it became both, like, more and less political – uh, we kind of changed to just being like a regular recap podcast that also talked politics. And and I think, you know, maybe the show lost something, even though it gained a lot of listeners. But I also think, like, good Lord, we would have been crucified if, if we had the listenership that we had. I'm sure we said some stupid shit on those first 20-some episodes, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm sure we said some stupid shit. We still say some dumb stuff every now and then, uh, full admitting of that. But I... 
I really like to reflect on those old episodes because you're absolutely right. We tied them all to very specific political issues. Like this is the income inequality episode and this is the access to education episode. This is the animal rights episode. And we also tied the show back to an organization that you could donate to at the end of each one. And I kind of miss that part of it. Um, some of our live events, like your birthday party, we had a donation component to, and that felt good because I think that is something that's fallen off of the show that I really valued. Um, to the point of like diversity, though, and people saying dumb stuff, in the beginning, our guests were just sort of our friends. And I'd like to think everyone we've ever had on the show became a friend to in some way or another we now i think truly can say we have some friends who were on the cast and crew of shira but back then we were just like who do we know in our personal lives that can speak to these issues we definitely tried to get people from um demographics that weren't ours you know people who could represent more races and more LGBTQ um, community members and BIPOC guests. It just, uh, but sometimes we were just like, this is our white friend <laughs> who is a teacher here to talk about teaching. And that was and, a great episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was valuable to hear from people based on their occupation. Like we, we brought a lot of people on based on their expertise. And that's another thing that I don't think we do so much anymore outside of their expertise was that they created Shira, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, right. There's always room for more diversity, but I feel like as far as like the genre of like two white people talking about TV, we did a pretty decent job getting a nice array of guests. And uh, yeah, I, I, I look back and I'm really proud of the, the voices that we had and, I, yeah, I th I think it was a good show, man. I, I like what we did here. Who were some of your... Let's not get into, like, favorite episodes yet, but just in terms of what we're talking about, the people and their jobs and their, their subject matters, who were some of the favorite people for you that we brought on? So, I mean, you mentioned our teacher friend. That's my, my best friend from growing up, Tom Foss. I thought he was great, and he also... He is actually the person who got me into Shira, so it's fitting that he was uh, our first guest. We did an episode on uh, animal issues with uh, your friend John Meisenbach, who is a, a, a zoo professional that I really loved. Um, that was an episode that was kind of cool because, like, in theory, that's, a, like, even in practice, that's one of the only, like, bipartisan issues that still exists. Like, most people um, think that hurting animals is bad. So that was really interesting. Um, I'm going to save what my favorite episode is, but as far as like the She-Ra crew, I mean, it was also fascinating, but just getting to talk about The Good Place with Keston John was one of the best moments of my year. So I gotta, I gotta go hard for that one. I agree. Um, spoiler alert, uh, Keston, I think is my favorite interview as well. And I think we're going to circle back to him probably, but I had down not only John, but also Michael, my friend from the Illinois Science Council. Yes. That was like a very um, misty, woo-woo, like touchy-feely ep. But he brought us um, cookies made from ant flour, and we like actually got to 
personally taste and experience like this world in which food scarcity is addressed with bugs and science. It was wild. And that was from the DreamWorks show. That was the Perfuma debut episode, Flowers for Shiro. So that was actually like shades of our kind of previous show in this new in the new iteration. Yeah, I I have a couple new ones on my favorite conversations. Um, I remember talking to Adam Del Conte about um, healthcare. And Duo Yang talked to us about um, kind of the promise of technology and automation and how uh, an increasingly technological world uh, affects education. And I think that was kind of an Entrapta episode. That was a newer one, too. Um, Our friends Dawn and Christina definitely came on and had amazing conversations with us about race. And um, Christina was very much about kind of growing up passing like she's half latinx and you know how she can sort of code switch and choose which culture she wants to appear to be a part of and what that did in her childhood and then dawn what up what did we bring dawn in for what episode oh huntara dawn did the huntara episode yes um Huntara being an episode that I felt extremely underqualified to talk on and to have such a valuable and open person sort of talk about assimilation and uh, even like colonization in a way, just very powerful. And I think one of the times I was really glad that we just kind of handed the mic over. I think I think one more of our just friends that we had on was Trin Garitano. Uh, and I just remember the like social, the very small burst of social media buzz created after Trin's <laughs> hot takes. I think um, when we had Trin on was one of the times I was like, oh man, I I really think we have something going here. This podcast is actually good. <laughs> and the, the other one that really did that for me was when we did The Toys That Made Us and we had Tim Seeley. Yeah. Uh, Tim Seeley has come back to be with us a couple of times, both as a guest and just an audience member at our live shows. And like, I know he's just a guy. He's just a cool guy. But the fact that he wanted to hang out with us again, I was like, this show, it's really happening. Tim Seeley's here. Yeah, I love that one. That was like our second season where we were doing um, kind of episodes. We were trying to shoot the moon on the original She-Ra before the Netflix came out because there was like a period of time when we knew the reboot was happening, but we didn't know anything about it, right? So also in that uh, that kind of stretch, we had my friend Russell, who's a philosophy professor, did a really interesting episode on Lucky that I loved. And I also do want to shout out my former co-worker, Science Chernobyl, who did a great episode on uh, income inequality that I, I took a lot from. So yeah, we had we had really good talks. So kind of speaking of your favorite classic episodes, I don't know if you have more on your list, but I do specifically related to not the people we were necessarily talking to, but the episodes we watched. Yeah. So what are, what's your favorite episodes of this podcast? Like if you were going to tell somebody, listen to this episode, you've got, mm, let's say 98 to choose from. What do you pick? Oh gosh. The podcast episode. Well, I've got, yeah, we've got a, you know, I want to cover the top five animated episodes too, but let's talk podcast episodes. Okay. Um, I honestly, if I were to try to sell someone on the show, I would either have them listen to one of the more accessible She-Ra guests like Noelle Stevenson or Amy Carrero, 
But also, I think our, and this might be my favorite episode of the podcast ever, I think our, like, home run was talking to Vera about Promise. Oh. Uh, talking to an actual little girl about how this show moves her and what she gets out of it, I think built a bridge that we really didn't build in any other episode. And we had like Vera for president hashtags going that week. And I just think that is a very touching example of, of what we do. I want people to hear that one. I love that choice. Uh, mine, is, I, I agree with you. And I actually did recently have to do this for somebody who was like, I want to listen to your podcast. I was like, oh, fuck, this is so insular. What do I pick? Um, I sent the Keston John episode, which I love for the interview. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just such a great interview. But my ultimate all-time favorite, which, Lauren, this is not going to surprise you. And in fact, Lauren, I'm going to put my answer in the form of a question, Jeopardy style. Lauren, has your mind changed about what your favorite pie is? <laughs> I really, is this is this my friend my enemy it is i really love this episode i recently re-listened to it so we had lauren's friend aaron hosek on to talk about uh, empathy in this episode where hordak is going to die unless he can find someone to cry for him and i i still like my views on empathy have evolved in the past three years but it's such an interesting topic to me and aaron is a middle school counselor and hearing about how kids you know, are, are um, taught to work empathy into their day-to-day was so fascinating. And I really think still, this is episode 12, and I think it's my favorite. My friend, My Enemy, was on my list of, like, She-Ra episodes that I liked best. And I think it had a lot to do with the conversation with Aaron. But if I had to go back and pick some of the classics that's that's on the list for sure i do want to give one more shout out to keston um because you said it again save the cat is one of my favorite anything we've ever done i think it's a standout episode of the netflix dreamworks series and also i just felt the most competent as an interviewer (laughs) for that one because we really talked to him a lot about she-ra but then we got, I think, honestly, like some semi-exclusive like stuff about Avatar out of him, you know? <laughs> that was like a real cool conversation about his career. And yeah, of course, The Good Place. Um, asking Keston John what his good place would be like, it brings tears to my eyes every time I listen to it. So Lauren, I think I think that segues us into our old favorite uh, segment. You know, we've, we've been doing this show of 100 episodes and Fans and listeners know that uh, we love to do our top fives. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. Everybody in the car, so come on, let's ride to the liquor store around the corner. The boys say they want some gin and juice, but I really don't wanna. <laughs> yeah. So Lauren, let's let's you and I let's alternate from five to one. I'd love to know your five favorite episodes that we covered of of Shira, He-Man, whatever. Uh, if you'd like to start with your number five. Okay, um, we've already spoiled some of them, and so I'm not sure if this is the best order, but I'll give it a shot. Um, I would say my number five is probably actually My Friend, My Enemy. We already Mm. talked about it, and there it is. I love that. I love that you put a classic on there. Uh, For me, it's Promise. Uh, I think Promise is such a foundational episode to understand the rest of She-Ra, and you're right, we did have a great conversation around it, but it's just such like a an unexpectedly heartfelt 
kind of like in a way small scale but in a way like the hugest universe bedrock of princesses of power so i love that episode so promise is my number five actually most of not most of but three out of five of mine are classics um certainly number four is the price of power and that is when we met jacob (laughs) yes price of power was in my six to ten uh that is shadow weaver's origin it's so fucking good yes Um, that is the like birth if just the apex i guess the apex of our like shadow weavers our favorite (laughs) and it stayed that way and it is like i think my friend my enemy you would probably need to asterisk before watching it as a modern viewer with no context and say like look it's charming but understand that this is an 80s cartoon but price of power generally holds up i feel like yeah it's a genuinely good story and when we get to my number three it's not so good (laughs) and Uh, we'll see in a minute what i mean my number four is save the cat uh probably the most like just like hero moment of the princesses of power like watching adora go ham to save catra it's so cool and there's like so much emotional tension but also just so many like kick-ass moments i think save the cat is is like a masterful episode so that's my number four so here's my wild card which i think is going to be maybe a surprise but maybe not my number three is play it again Bo. <gasps> uh, i love it i love play it again Bo. um i remember doing that episode with marcus and uh marcus is still a really good friend of mine we hang out all the time and the discussion we had was more around art and the importance of art in a, you know, politically ravaged society. And does art still have a place? Uh, and should it be funded? Like, yes, of course. But the episode itself, I, I really want to go back to, and I'll probably go back to it after we record this, because there's so much in it about Raz and Raz having this, like, ex-paramour and who she has become since then. And, you know, even though she had this partnership in the past, um, the independence and, like, new love she's found with the rebellion in the future, that episode affected me way back when we listened to it. And, you know, here in post-divorce Lauren society, I think it might hit different even now. And so it's so weird that I got so much out of like an episode that I don't know if many Shira classic fans give a shit about. Yeah, that episode's really interesting because it's it, it almost feels like spiritually more of a princesses of power episode in that Adora doesn't have that much to do in it. Like she kind of is just a shield for some horde troopers to like let Madame Raz have this story about her ex-boyfriend and this art that he's made. And isn't the plot something like um the horde like demands that he destroy it? And but it's like his life's work, but the thing is it's kind of shitty and everyone doesn't see why it's a big deal, but it means everything to him. It's like really fascinating. Like that this kind of inconsequential piece of art would mean so much to somebody. I think uh yeah, it is it's very microcosmically interesting. And that is an extraordinary episode. Thank you. I thought so. Uh my number three is Hero. Uh, This is actually my highest rated of the Princesses of Power episodes. This is a fascinating episode uh, that, like, with all the time jumps, I feel like, you know, Lauren and I talked about 
the lore of the show and how maybe it didn't get as much attention as we had hoped but i think there's a lot of richness to this episode and it's almost like a puzzle to be uh solved in certain ways the way it like jumps time and stuff it's so good absolutely a good pick my number two is princess scorpia Mm. um again i just seem to pick these episodes that i think are isolated just like a story on their own and you could watch this one episode and it's not necessarily connected to anything before or after it and princess scorpia is when scorpia defects from the horde I think it is a great Princesses of Power episode because it really shows us the difference between the vintage show and the current one, that the characters are just much more emotionally complex, they're much more dynamic, and her switching sides and the internal turmoil she has to go through both recovering from this sort of victor's propaganda version of her past but also this um, desire she feels for Catra that's just not panning out for her. Um, her her battle with her own lack of self-confidence, and she finally just walks. Uh, it's very good. We also had a cool guest. That was when we had Danny Oliver. And I really appreciate Danny coming on. Um, he joined us from a, like a military veteran perspective. And of any guest that we have ever had... I think for better or worse, I went the hardest at Danny being like, what the hell? Like, justify your life choices. I don't relate to you and I don't understand. And he was the most gracious, like, giving guest in terms of, like, the way that I, the questions I wanted to ask that I I know I'm just going to be grateful to him forever. He was really great. I feel bad I didn't mention that my best friend Ben Rather did Hero with us, which was amazing, so... Sorry, Ben. That was a really good episode, too. You're a great dude. Um, I agree with you that, like, I tended to pick standalone episodes, and Princesses of Power is difficult in this way because it's kind of one overarching narrative, and so it's hard to pull out, like, for me, bits and pieces of, like, oh, this is, like, exceptional. So, because it's all exceptional. And so my top two are from the classic series, and my number two is what I said just a couple weeks ago had been my favorite uh, of any Heme animation. But talking about it with Lauren, it did get demoted to number two. It is Into the Abyss. Oh, (laughs) I ruined it from number one. You didn't ruin it, but I think also I watched it three times that week and a little bit of the magic started to (laughs) come off. I still think it's an amazing episode. I love that it doesn't really have a villain. I love it's such a character piece. The, like... He-Man saving Tila from the Abyss of Grayskull with the Transform is super cool. But yeah, it is it is my number two, but it is not my number one. What's um, your number one? I'm glad I don't have to talk last because my number one was Save the Cat. Yeah. Um, we already talked about it so much. I think Save the Cat is just the perfect mix of complex relationships and powerful emotional moments but also action sequences it's a big moment for the lore of the show and i just laugh that this like high octane episode kept a joke like pre-production name just the fact that it's (laughs) called save the cat i think puts it at the top for me and that is when we got to meet keston we've already said keston's name like 30 times keston 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 love Mm. you thanks for coming on the show my number one, probably predictable, and it ultimately makes so much sense in this contest. Uh, in this context, 
is Into Etheria, the oh. first episode of She-Ra. Because it is, it is the first time the world gets to meet Princess Adora. And I think it's just a darn good episode of fantasy television. It's, you know, Prince Adam being summoned into this world he's never known with a mission that is, like, not entirely clear. And still, like, I will sometimes, if I'm feeling bad, just, like, fast forward to the part where he becomes He-Man and fights the Horde. And it's so clear that, like, the Horde has never, ever been stood up to like this and it's like the ultimate he-man moment for me like even though he does say something kind of sexist about scorpia like, <laughs> like i still love it. it it's just such a great uh it's such a cool thing and it brought the world she-ra so into etheria is my all-time fave i was looking at sort of the first several episodes at the beginning of the original she-ra and i didn't pick them but i sure thought about it because in the end, it's still such a good story about someone on the wrong side who sees the atrocities that sort of their team is committing and has a change of heart. And I think that is such a valuable story even now that that really touches at the core of why we did this. I completely agree. And, I, you know, if we had another 100 episodes, it might be interesting to look at why 1985 Adora comes around versus... 2018 Adora, uh, you know, it, for for the new Adora, it seems to be so much about relationships. Like, she meets the princesses and realizes that they are good people, and then she sees, like, oh, the Horde is, like, kind of doing all this horrible stuff. But I think for her, ultimately, it's about the relationships. But for 1985 Adora, it is pretty much straight up about the atrocity and the fact that, like, if it weren't for Shadow Weaver's spells, like the things that she sees her people doing are flat out wrong. And I think that's really an interesting dichotomy. Yeah, we talk a lot about how we old nerds kind of wish there was a little bit more lore in the, the DreamWorks show. And even if we weren't going to go into like He-Man and Eternia and Skull, I think that's a theme that I think I would have liked a little bit more of, especially once we realize that Katra knows that these atrocities are horrific and she is choosing to do it anyway. Um, I could have sat in sort of that mental arc of hers for a, a really long time, just realizing right. she was like consenting. Because there is a moment of that. I think that, you know, in, in one of the episodes, Katra kind of explodes and is like, I know we're the bad guys. I don't care. It's you and me. But you're right. And I, I think that all ties back to like how maybe they didn't have full steam ahead on the relationship stuff uh, until the final season, so maybe they had to dial that back a little. But that is such an interesting dynamic. And ultimately, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I don't want to say it's a shortcoming, but I do. I would have loved more exploration of that, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely not a shortcoming, because what we got was this history-making, inclusive, beautiful tale. It's just a different set of priorities. Right. So, okay, that's that's kind of the next thing I want to talk about. So here we are at the end. We've seen, what, we probably watched 25, 30, uh, probably like 30 episodes of the Filmation He-Man and She-Ra, and then, you know, all 52 of the uh, DreamWorks. So final thoughts on She-Ra, Lauren. You came in not knowing anything about it. How have you left? Well, uh... The short answer is, I must like it, because I got it tattooed on my body. 
there's now a sword permanently on my arm, and so clearly I do want Shira to be with me forever. And it is, just to clarify, it's the 1980s sort of protection, correct? Yes. Looks, in my opinion, like, no offense, it looks cooler, but I, I won't die on that hill. <laughs> um, but another thing about She-Ra is, even though it's a show, a cartoon show, arguably for kids, I can't stop thinking about all of the different opportunities that it brought us, not just the conversations we got to have, but we got to do like live parties where our friends just got drunk and watched TV with us and clapped and cheered and, you know, had togetherness. And that's so valuable a memory to me, especially now when it's not safe to do something like that. Uh, Remember when we went, well, I went and saw J. Michael Straczynski and then... (laughs) We had a we had like a debrief about that with my friend Stephen Poon and then JMS tweeted at us and like that's a really funny memory to me and I'm really happy I have it even though I sort of joke about it like yikes and even our actual play I wanted to make sure we mentioned that like we just got to hang out and play D&D with some of our friends on mic and other people listened to it and enjoyed it and it made them happy we got to talk to people who make Shira RPGs and tarot decks and are just in I mean that episode we just did what Shira means to me hearing people sort of mold their academic careers around Shira and how Shira is affecting their ability to be more open about their sexuality and their roles in their family like holy smokes this is a big thing and what an honor that we got to talk about it with people we've never met before. Think of all the people listening in Brazil. <laughs> Hello, Brazil. Yeah, you're you're kind of getting into our last question here, but I I agree with all of that. I mean, I um, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to do a podcast about Shira if I didn't already have this love. And I would say that like my love of the show has only grown in in adult ways. That sounds weird, but like in in uh grown up ways because of like Lauren being here to challenge me on some things and like you know be another set of eyes not clouded by nostalgia and and help show that like even in the in in stuff that was so crucial to me at you know 8 years old that it still has something to say to modern people and the reboot like the truth is I'm never going to love it the way I love the original but it was a hugely influential show in my life like because of all of these relationships, right? Which is, and it's great, and I love it. And like we said in our discussion of Heart Part 2, you can't ever take away the groundbreaking representation and the way that so many people felt so seen by it. And I would never try. Um, but for me, this this show, and I think this is what some people got angry at us for, honestly, was I covered this show with you as an intellectual curiosity, but it it led to so many great things and so many great relationships and friendships. So, you know, no regrets on that front. Yeah, and that's just it. Like, it's not just an intellectual curiosity to some people. For some people, this was um, a formative, life-changing property. Um, It's brought a lot of people through trauma 
it's it's men it's helped heal people i mean the idea that lesbian love can save the world we weren't brought up with messages like that and we weren't affected in our youths by messages like that because they really didn't exist to this level this capacity and so i think now is kind of a fine time for us to retire because we've said so much about it and now from this point forward many many more diverse more interesting younger perhaps even people can continue talking about it when we're done yeah i i don't think we ever meant to stake a claim as like the arbiters of critical discussion on shira right it just kind of happened and we were just kind of positioned to be that for a while and i i know that there's a lot more interesting discussion that uh yeah it it comes more from the heart and and that's great like not that i think we ever shied away from being very earnest on this show but ultimately you know heart part two didn't mean anything to me beyond being a satisfying finale of television and i think in some ways that makes me more equipped to cover it and but in more important ways it it means that yeah it's probably good that we are wrapping up that said, uh, my last big question, which we've already kind of talked about, is like, like looking at three years ago versus now, how are you feeling, Lauren? Um, I'm feeling different. <laughs> it's hard to look at our podcast and this period of time with unbiased eyes because we started out, as you said, a very politics-forward show. And even though politics has become sort of more of a baked-in background hum, politics still affects me, and I know you, every day, all the time. It's a constant piece of real estate in my heart that is thinking about COVID-19 and is thinking about fascism and is thinking about Black Lives Matter and is thinking about income inequality and healthcare and UBI. I'm just all the time just like fretting about these things, not even productively always. Some days it's just bad. And I would say, you know, mental health wise, I'm probably worse than before, if I'm honest, because we can't go to parties with our friends. We can't leave the country. Like we're in a time period of great flux and great fear. And it's not super awesome all the time to be alive right now but that said this podcast has been such a steadfast source of validation and comfort and joy that even if the world is scarier right now because we had this and because we did this my feelings about the future and what can be are certainly better than they would have been without this project. Yeah, that feels pretty astute to me. I mean, yeah, this is not really, I guess, the happy ending maybe people would want to hear, but for myself, I would also say on paper things are worse than when they started. You know, if you listen to some of those early episodes and you you hear me talking in reverent, hushed tones about, oh, this project I'm working on and how great it's going to be, well... You know, when you open a restaurant a month before COVID and then you find out that your CEO is like this abusive monster, uh, <laughs> how quickly your dreams turn to ash, right? So now I have, I don't know, like I'm I'm sitting in this apartment in Los Angeles and I have no idea what my life is going to look like. And that's crazy. And that's so, 
like, yeah, who the fuck saw this coming three years ago, right? Personally. But, uh, yeah, and, like, politically things seem more hopeless now than in 2017, maybe? I don't know, like, polls have Biden up, but I, I just can't shake the feeling that we're gonna be in for some, some rough surprises here. Uh, all that said, I think you're right that, like, having this to talk through things and and to engage with people about what, what everything means, not just in a media sense, but in, like, a, a global sense, uh, it has been immensely helpful. And, like, I mean, part of the reason I moved to L.A. was because if you look at 2019 and 2020, for me, the, the best days out of each of those years involved people from Shira, right? Involved people from L.A. And so I was like, well, I, I mean, I wanted to be here anyway, so maybe, maybe it's the call. And, you know, it, it, <laughs> I'm not sure now if if that was... I, I think moving was the right call. I don't know if, like, having She-Ra be part of the equation was absolutely uh, the right inspiration. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. But I definitely feel better about the relationships I have in my life in general because of this show. And, you know, obviously at the top of that pile is you, Lauren. <laughs> hey, yeah. I... It really resonated with me when you said three years ago you were talking about how excited you were about your job. I, in this short time, I can remember how highly I talked about my ex-husband at the beginning of this ride, and he was at some of those live shows, and that's not a person who exists in my world anymore at all. And I'm finishing up my MBA, so I have, in a matter of weeks, a degree that I'm going to have for the rest of my life that I didn't have when we started this process. But when it comes to my friendships, uh, especially with you, Eric, I, I do think that having this project going on um, decided in a big way who was going to be there for me and who I was going to be there for when all of that dust sort of settled. We've talked about it a lot, but going to LA with you and meeting the Shira team out there, getting to sit in the sunshine, eating lunch at DreamWorks, it was the first time after that big hit, that big divorce blow, that I realized things are going to be okay as long as I stick around for it, and as long as I surround myself with people who I love and I trust, good stuff's going to keep coming around. And so even though the political sphere right now can feel really scary, uh, I am actually unemployed again, which is buckwild during a pandemic. It's literally experiences I had doing this podcast and being your friend that have made me realize, like, hang in there, it's going to turn around. And I hope we have been able to do that for some of the people listening, too. And kind of the overall message of She-Ra, right? And this is something people have emailed to us as well, which is really sweet, is like, uh, togetherness and community and perseverance is what wins the day, hopefully. Who knows, right? Who knows? But I, I do believe in people. You know, I, I, I think that... Um, and because of shows like Shira, I think that people are better equipped to like live in the world and like and push for positive change. And I, I just you gotta hope, you gotta hope and do what you can. And uh, yeah, but over, I mean, also you have to have fun. And ultimately, this podcast was a fuck ton of fun for like ninety nine of the hundred episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Even, you know, even the ones that turned out to not be so fun had their moments, you know, it's, 
there's there's goodness everywhere. I think you have to be open to yeah. it, and sometimes you have to really be looking for it. Like, Loki is hidden in every episode, and sometimes you don't see him, but it's always there. You just have to find it. And so we've gotten some lovely letters from people who are uh, surprisingly, you know, sad that this show's not going to be around anymore because for some people... Um, We've been friends that they can talk to about their show, maybe when the people around them weren't necessarily available to do that. And so uh, there's a there's a tug, you know, at my heart saying some people will still be listening. Why not keep doing this? But there's a lot that you can still listen to in our back catalog. You can email us anytime. We've become friends with many people who were just guests on our show uh jacob was just our podcast listener and i recently helped him jump his van (laughs) you know like (laughs) we're friends now we're all really friends so we hope um we can still hear from you all on on twitter and instagram and wherever you all hang out um and and thank you for writing us and and sending us gifts i have so many things on my shelf from strangers from far and wide and it's just been a huge honor to be your friends and to talk about this thing with all of you. Yeah. I think that about covers it. <laughs> it does. And uh, speaking of covers. <laughs> I... <laughs> little little surprise for the final episode here. Not really a surprise. We've been promising it for a while. And if I'm honest, while we're recording this, I haven't recorded this next part yet. So I don't <laughs> even know how I feel about it. But Godspeed, I, I, Rebels. I will say, though... Of all of the things that, like, people have written us about, one of the things that most blows my mind is that people now associate this song with She-Ra. So, like, I feel like I did a good <laughs> job on the playlist of this show. Yes, you were an awesome musical director, and now this has sort of unofficially become a She-Ra theme. So, thank you for being there with us, you guys. We love you. And Eric, hey, I love you, and I, I hope that even though we don't have this commitment every week anymore, I can still get to talk to you all the time. Oh, yeah. I I, I bet we'll still find something to do. We may not, um, you know, it may not be in the public sphere, but I imagine we'll, we'll be hanging out for a good long while. Oh, yeah. And bef- that's one more thing I did want to say is that I don't know about you. I don't want to make this promise. But if they do go ahead and you know, make a She-Ra movie or something of this sort, maybe we'll have 101. Oh, yeah. I think if She-Ra comes back, we gotta. Revelations won't do it, but another She-Ra would. No, I'm not going to have a Revelations podcast, and that's <laughs> final. <laughs> and with that, everybody, uh, yeah, you're, you're amazing. Love you, Lauren. Thank you all for this. And uh, take care.
into your heart There's nothing else you can do I don't know where you're going And I don't know why But listen to your heart Before you tell him goodbye Sometimes you wonder if this fight is worthwhile The precious moments are all lost in the tide Yeah, they're swept away And nothing is what it seems The feeling of belonging to your dreams Listen to your heart When he's calling for you Listen to your heart There's nothing you can do I don't know where you're going and I don't know why but listen to your heart before you tell him goodbye Listen to your heart.